Hi, this is Pastor Tim, and I'm always encouraged to hear what God is doing in your life. Now, if you have a story or a testimony to share regarding a miracle, please let me know at story at citylifefw.org. That's story at citylifefw.org. Hey, I'm looking forward to hearing your personal story soon. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We're all about making Jesus known. We pray these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus, who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. You know, First Thessalonians four thirteen, and um, and f- hold your place there, and we'll be reading through. Uh, a really interesting passage of scripture here in a minute. Today's message is entitled, The Hope We Long For. Now, today's message is about Bible prophecy. I'm talking about what the scriptures refer to as the blessed hope. That's why I've entitled my message today, The Hope We Long For. Um, <clears throat> take a little bit about myself as, as, we, as I get into this message on prophecy. Early in my ministry, I... Uh, I didn't teach about prophecy. And the reason being is I grew up in the church and I heard and saw a lot of prophecy teachers growing up. And, and I'll just be candid with you. It's, it's okay. Is it, it was okay to be honest in church? Okay, some of these people made some really wild and bizarre claims based upon Bible prophecy. And those things just fizzled out. And I just thought, well, what is the deal? <laughs> Because I believe in the Bible, and these people are saying this is going to happen, and, and then like, well, it didn't happen. We still see it today. Like the end of the world is coming. Like about once a year, there's all this beginning of the, and people start panic. Like if someone says that, don't just laugh. Okay, just just yeah. act normal. Um, and then also growing up as a kid, I mean, I noticed that, that a lot of the stuff, you know, a lot of the prophecy stuff in the Bible was uh, was kind of scary, and I certainly couldn't figure it all out. Uh, so, so what I did is, is uh, as when I was a pastor, a senior pastor, I just started, I would tell people, well, I'm not teaching, not going to really be teaching on Bible prophecy until I get some gray hair. All right. You see, because gray hair in the scriptures uh, is the equivalent to wisdom, you know, and, and some of you are, are wise, wise, wise right there. Some of you are hiding your wisdom, but, uh, fam, yeah, but I, I, I thought, well, you know, because I do want wisdom. I want to do this wisely. And the second thing is, uh, is I was just trying to buy myself some time. I mean, that just makes some com- good common sense. So uh, I thought, well, that gives me about 20 years. But no kidding, no kidding, no kidding at all. That very year, gray hair started, like, coming into my head it just immediately. And I said, okay, I don't know. This must be a sign from God. But I did my very first, uh, gave my first sermon on prophecy back in 2001. And, and I've really enjoyed teaching about it since. Now, today I want to give you a little bit of framework before we dive into the message. This is going to be a little different message. Uh, I have a Q&A time here in the middle of the message. Uh, but prophecy in the scriptures is not meant to frighten us. That's, that's very important to understand. Not us. Huh? See, prophecy gives us comfort. It gives us comfort regarding two big macro ideas. That God is in control because when prophecy plays itself out, you're saying, okay, God already knew this. God spoke through the prophets. God is in control. 
All right? And there's a second thing that it does for us. It gives us comfort because we recognize that God wins in the end, and we win in the end, and so we know how the story ends. That's how you have that comfort. Um, Prophecy is kind of the spoiler. It just lets us know we win in the end. So it comforts us. But, but, But prophecy only makes total sense like in the rearview mirror after the event has happened. And then the cryptic nature of the prophecy dissolves. Now, here's a good example of this. Even Jesus' own disciples who ate and slept and drank and preached and did, you know, they did everything with Jesus. I don't know if they were drinking, but, but they, they, were, they were with Jesus for, for, for two years. They didn't even connect all the prophecies about the Messiah until after Jesus had, was, had been crucified, resurrected, and ascended. And then they started looking back at the prophecies going, oh, now we see. Now we get it. That's a, probably the best example of it in the scriptures. Also around here, we use, a, we use a, an important word. It's an important part of, a, of you know, it actually comes into part of our official statements that we have. But, but, uh, but we, we do something that's called interpretation of scriptures. Let me tell you what interpretation means. Now, there are some things that are, that are solid that, that this is not an interpretation. This is solid. But a lot of prophecy is interpretation. See, an interpretation, though, is this. It is a strong belief or a set of strong beliefs based upon the scriptures. And that's what you're hearing today. Today, you're going to hear interpretation. Now, what does that mean? That means you can disagree with me and still go to church here and be my friend. All right? Sounds, sounds good? Yeah. Yeah. Some of you are shouting down. Yes. Great. I get to, like, instead of saying amen, I'm going to go, ah, during the sermon. Like, well, whatever. But I want to tell you, these are strong beliefs based upon uh, a lot of research that I've done and leaning into the writings of Bible scholars for hundreds of years. Yesterday I performed a funeral. Um, It was a funeral of a man in our community that I had grown to love. Uh, He passed away. His name is Kelly. He didn't, he didn't attend our church. In fact, he didn't, he didn't go to church. Um, but he was my friend. And we would talk. Uh, when he was sick, I would visit him. I would pray for Kelly. I liked Kelly. He always made me happy. But he passed away on Christmas morning. And I was sitting with my family around the tree, and the message suddenly came to me that he had passed away, and and it was so quick, and, and my heart sank, and Rebecca even looked at me and she goes, what's wrong? The memorial service was yesterday, and the place was packed. It's filled with his friends and his family members, and just about every local government leader also in, in all of Tarrant County, definitely Fort Worth. It was a special, special time. But in that ceremony, in, in, that, in that service, I talked about some of the things that I'm going to be talking with you about today. I shared scriptures there that I'm sharing with you today because they were scriptures of comfort. It was prophecy. And I also gave people the opportunity to receive Jesus because I made it very clear in that room, eternity is real. Eternity is real. And here's what the Bible says. That's part of what I'm sharing with you today as well. See, the scriptures tell us that it is appointed for man once to die, and after that is the judgment. 
And the truth is, every death is a difficult situation to walk through. In fact, I've, I've performed scores of graveside and memorial services, and some have been more difficult than others, to be honest, such as a young mother passing and leaving confused children and a distraught husband. Suicides are some of the worst. By gunshot, hangings, overdoses, every suicide funeral I've held, the person's been under 40 years old. One of the toughest was a 17-year-old boy in our church who was murdered. Death by diseases of all ages, death by accidents. You know, the surprise funerals and the funerals of younger people, they're always the hardest. Many times I'll be alone preparing the service and what I'm going to say, and so often I just cry and weep, kind of getting it out before I even present it. Because it impacts me too. I've never gotten rigid or hard. And the thing is, when a person passes away, there's always this normal question. It's a normal question. We ask this question, why? 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 And I'll also be honest with you today that on this side of eternity, that question can't be fully answered. I can't answer that. But I know we ask it. It's a real question. But here's one thing I do know. As Christians, whenever someone passes away, we have something called hope. Now, the Apostle Paul referred to this as blessed hope. In fact, he says in the scriptures, we wait for the blessed hope. And then he defines it. He says, it's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the blessed hope is that we will meet Jesus in the air. And this guy right here, I am looking forward to that day when Jesus arrives in the clouds and I'm going to rise to meet him and I'm going to join with all the other followers of Jesus and I'm going to see some people go like, you are following Jesus, woohoo, let's go. And, and I'm going to be there with people who have passed on before and and. My grandparents and great-grandparents, people that that their graves are going to be opened up, they're going to meet me in the air with Jesus. I believe in that 100%. So as a result, because of the blessed hope, we should live our lives a certain way. We should live our lives expecting his return, expecting his return with imminence and that he could imminently return. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's the same way that I expected my parents to return on an evening when they were away. Uh, mom and dad, when I was a kid, I, I remember so clearly, mom and dad would leave and, and go out for the evening. They, they were pastors. Sometimes they would go visit people. That's, that's back in the days where you actually get a knock on the door and the pastor shows up like, hey, we're going to come stay for 30 minutes. That was, that was real. That was real. Some of you guys remember that. But that was, that was real. You know, don't worry, I'm not going to do that to you. you. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Culture's changed. That's all right. But mom and dad, they'd go out and do that or spend some time together and, and go to meetings. And, but, but while they were gone, I know there were always three things that had to be done before they got back home. And I never knew when they were coming back. The three things were the dishes had to be done and the living room had to be clean. And I had to have taken a bath and they would look for the evidence of such. All right. And, and so I was living that way. I would live with this expectation of the imminent return of mom and dad. 
See, I was doing the things that acknowledged I believed they were going to come and that I would be ready. Now, that's actually the type of expectation that we need to have because Jesus can return in the air at any moment. We're going to talk about some of this. But first of all, you guys submitted questions through my pastor's email over the past couple of weeks and on, on Facebook, and some of you wrote them out by hand. Uh, a lot of questions. So Preston has taken some of those questions, and he is submitting them now to us. And Preston, I want you to come on up here, because now there's no way for me to get to every question that was asked, but we're going to take a few. I want you to draw them out of the bucket, and we'll get rolling with this one here, all right? Why don't you just have a Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't so you just have a, a seat, seat my friend? Yes. Yes, thank you. It's the throne of grace. All right. And this will be the throne of judgment. Ooh. Yeah. Since we're talking about tribulation. You you don't have to stay at arm's length. You can get closer. Okay. Yeah. That's a very throne of grace-like thing to say. Yeah. All right, here we go. Question uh, number one. Underway. Here it is. And we'll pull this a little bit closer for us here. You ready? (laughs) Can't let you see. Well, I'm going to hear it anyway. It's not like it's a surprise. You can't see. Okay, you can't see. It. It's got to be authentically. We all pray. Is it predetermined who goes to heaven? Ooh. And everybody said, ooh. Ooh. Dicey there. Yes and no. Two answers on that. Actually, here, here the truth is, is that we make the decision to follow Jesus Christ, but that, that, that stirring of the Holy Spirit is put into our hearts, and we respond to it. We call it actually predestination, not predetermined, but the, there's, there's a destination that's set up for us. Yes. Excellent. But if you don't choose to respond to it, that's your problem. All right. Going straight to hell. Why is there a rapture to begin with? Okay, the rapture. Go, oh, is there more to that? Yes. Okay, read the rest. It's too late. Go ahead. No, okay. The, there's, a, there's a rapture. Actually, that's a term that I'm going to be talking about here in a little bit, so I'm going to get a little deeper into that in just a few minutes. But uh, rapture is, is the removal of God's people from the earth, uh, and that, that allows for God then to separate his people out, and because there will be judgment on the earth. What does the term rapture come from? Where, like, where well, actually, is... that's not even in the Bible. Right, and you're, you're, you're not going to find the word rapture in the Bible, so it comes. It's a, it's a word that we use. It's just it's just an English word that that describes it well. So I'm going to give the definition of it here yeah. in a second. Uh, but but it just it it just means that a person is is uh, is moved from one place to another very very rapidly. There there are actually a couple of examples of it in the scriptures. Um, <clears throat> One is Enoch in the Old Testament. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God, and God took him away. He caught him away, and so that so he he just disappeared. Uh, another one, another one is in the uh, in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this guy who goes and baptizes someone, and his name is Philip, and and he he baptizes this man, and then right after he baptizes him, God moves him from one location to another. And I even took I even took a map and I measured it out to see I wanna know how many miles it really was. It was forty miles. Right. Uh, it's kinda of fun. I like I like the scriptures. But God translated him in four, uh, forty miles instantaneously, so he just he disappeared mm-hmm. and then was reappeared in another location immediately because God had something else for him to do real quick. So when you're saying rapture throughout the message you're meaning like a, a movement by God. Yes. Like a, instantaneous. Yes. Okay. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah, it's not like 
not a floating thing. Yeah, or a psh, that would be a rupture. No, that would be a rupture, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> rupture. Rupture and rupture are very different. Yeah. You go to the hospital for ruptures. Okay, go ahead. All right. And then those on Jurassic Park, those would be raptures. Ra- no, those are raptors. Raptors. Yes. But, they, but you will wish the rapture was coming if a raptor comes so after you. Hope you, you so they don't get ruptured. You see you. a rapture. So would you read the next question? All right, here we go. Next question. If I cuss or sin right before I die, do I still get to go to heaven? Nope. <laughs> you know what, guys? I, <laughs> I was actually raised believing that. I, I, you know, you're that, that if you, if the, 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 the illustration was this, I remember asking a Sunday school teacher, well, what if I just learned how to drive and, and I was like, well, what if I'm driving down the road and, and I crash my car and, and I cuss and, and then I die and the teacher said, I'm going to hell. Going. <laughs> no, no, I don't believe that at all because God's forgiveness of our sins is constant. Okay. Yeah. Because we still sin. And so, so we don't have to live on, walk on eggshells all the time thinking, oh, no, I did something wrong. I thought a bad thought. I, and we don't, that doesn't give us a license to sin. Right. But it's just that that's the, how the grace of God works because we are in this period right now, prophet, prophetically speaking, we're in this age of what's called grace. Right. Yeah. But that's going to end at a certain point. Mm-hmm. But right now we're in the age of grace. Fantastic. Good answer. Next is when Jesus returns... How do you view those who grew up in the church and learned the word of God but left? Okay, the, now that, that depends on what you mean they left. Uh, like if they left the church to go attend First Baptist, well, I'm sorry, you know, or the Methodist church, that, that's, that's different. Um, please don't do that. But, but, uh, but if they left the faith, they are in danger of losing salvation. Let me, let me explain to you how this works. That means they, they're denying their faith. They're saying, I do not believe in the blood of Jesus. I don't believe in his grace anymore. I, I reject this. And, but it's a very, very conscious decision. It's kind of like this. It's, it's like if a kid is living at home, they're under the grace and protection of the family, under the family roof. And, but it says, I'm going to go away. I want to leave this family. I want to change my last name. I don't have anything to do with them anymore. They're gone. They're separated from the family. Mm-hmm. And so it's a conscious decision. I, uh, I think it's a hard thing to do. Uh, but the scriptures make it clear in the New Testament uh, that, uh, that this does happen. So what, so what you're saying is to leave the faith, it's not something that... Uh, you do on accident. It's a very conscious yes. decision. It's a rejection of Christ. Fantastic. So no, it's not fantastic. That would be bad. <laughs> fantastic be bad. in sense of clarity that you okay. give us to people who are constantly and consistently afraid and fearful of their yeah. salvation. Yeah. And so, I mean, what would you say to someone who's, I, I'm scared. I don't know if I'm really saved. Mm-hmm. I mean, am I going to be raptured? Well, again, I'll, I'll be touching on this in my message, but if you've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus... Uh, you, you're forgiven. You're going to be with Jesus for eternity, and that is—that's why it's called our blessed hope. We—we're we, just—we're going to be with Jesus. It's really that simple. We just like to complicate it. Yeah. Like, but if I do this, or if I do that, it's like the blood of Jesus is the blood of Jesus. There's not a certain point where it doesn't work anymore. That's good. That's good. Like, oh, it's that's kind good. of lost its power. That's good. So good. Next is, do you think we will be around to see the return of Jesus? As in this current generation? Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. But I say it like that, yes. 
I think we should expect it. Like I said, we we should expect his return to be imminent. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I believe, I personally believe that I will see Jesus, and and, I, and I'll I'll be I'll participate in the rapture by being alive at that time. Um, <clears throat> it's just that's what I believe. I I, I expect that. Uh, there's no way for us to know. But you know what? The, the scriptures even said, told the people back in the Bible times, in the times of the New Testament, that they were to live that way and to expect his return at any given moment. And they did. Yeah. And I think we should as well. Very because good. it actually causes us to live a certain way. Very good. Very good. <clears throat> that one's been answered. Next is, does the return of Jesus depend upon the amount or lack of believers on the earth? Uh, no. There's no certain number of believers that have to be on earth or, you know, for, for Jesus to come. That, now, I think that may be kind of related to something, to something else that, that people ask that, that I'll sometimes even say is that we need to get out into the world and let everybody know because the Bible does say that when this message of Jesus has been spread into all the world, once everyone has heard, then the end will come. And we live in the generation when that is possible. That is likely, and it's right at the door. Wow, so good. Next is, what does the Scripture say the rapture will look like? Rapture, which isn't in the Scripture, but what does the Scripture say that will look like? Um, I'll be hitting that in the message. So let's just, let's just you'll be changed, transformed, in the twinkling of an eye. Boom, meet Jesus in the sky. It's going to be pretty cool. Okay, yeah. fantastic. And here's, an, here's something interesting, though. Only believers will see and experience the rapture. If you're not a believer, you won't even know that it happened. You'll just know that people disappeared. Okay, because the Bible doesn't say anything about non-believers seeing Jesus, seeing people in the sky. Mm. The Bible says nothing about the non-believers hearing the trumpet call of God. Uh, they will simply see graves opened. They will see people missing, yeah. and there will be con- it will turn the world upside down. When you were a kid, did you ever think by any chance that you were left behind? No, I didn't. I, did. I, I didn't. I was a good Christian kid. What about Mom, you? Mom, Dad, you uh, didn't think? No, I, I never did. No, I never did because, no, I just didn't. I, I think I lived, but see, I lived in a little bit different culture where I, I felt that if I sinned at any given moment, I, I would go to hell. I mean, straight to hell. It was just like, I, I remember talking to my friends because movies were against our religion. Yeah. And uh, if y'all are raised like now. that, you know, it's part of your religion now. <laughs> but movies, you, know, you could not go to the movies. And we were taught if, if Jesus comes while you're in a movie theater, you're going straight to hell. Yeah. I don't know why they always said straight to hell. It's like, do not right. pass go, do not collect 200, yeah. you're going straight to hell. But so I was like, I'm not going to go see no movie. <laughs> I remember one time I went to see E.T. That was the first movie I ever saw. And I was prayed the whole time, oh, Jesus, Jesus, don't come back. Please, don't. this is a cool movie. Oh, God, please don't come back. <laughs> That's tough. True story, true story, true story. Uh, let's keep going. That's tough. I never struggled with that, but there was, there was a time when, when I woke up from a nap, and, and I just felt like, <gasps> what if I was left? Dun, dun, dun. And then I was like, Mom, Mom. And she was there. And, and then you're like, well, then I'm either left with Mom or. <laughs> 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 it was very relieving when yeah, you got okay, home that day. Ahead. Next is. <laughs> Is the Antichrist an actual person or a spirit or he, both? Yeah, yeah. Let's make this the last one because we need to get going. But uh, he, the, the Antichrist is 
both. There's a spirit of Antichrist. I'll, I'll be talking about that in the message as well. But there's a spirit of Antichrist that, that is in the world. But it manifests itself in one person uh, completely and who is known as the man of sin, the Antichrist, the evil one, the anarchist. Uh, you know, all kinds of other names for him. Yeah, right. fantastic. Hey, thank you. Thank all you right. Sure. Excellent answers, right? Fun time. Thanks. Hey, but, but honestly, I'm really looking forward to the blessed hope of meeting Jesus in the air, and I hope you are too. The blessed hope is often called the rapture, which is that word we were using there. Uh, here's what rapture means. Rapture means, it's a two-word definition. It means caught up, caught up. Now, my definition of what it means for us is it is the sudden removal of believers from the earth with unbelievers left to face the tribulation. We see this outlined by Jesus in Matthew chapter number 24. Now, those who have given their lives to Jesus, whether they were dead or alive, they will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. That's the rapture. It'll happen quickly. It'll happen instantaneously. Uh, we, we will literally be physically changed. Uh, the scripture says in a moment, uh, in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. So it's descriptive that it is very quick. Uh, see, the people who have chosen, made the choice in their life to be forgiven of their sin through the blood of Jesus will be raptured. Those who are left on the earth will then face the judgment of what's called the great tribulation. And it's going to be a tribulation like this world has never, ever seen before. Nothing will even remotely compare. Now, what I've done for you is I put together a very simple chronology of three events that I believe scripture teaches. This is my interpretation. And, uh, and the first part is called the blessed hope. And here are the three things. We're going to leave those up there for a while for you to look at them. The first is the blessed hope. Now, this is the rapture. This is Jesus coming in the air. And uh, we rise to meet him. It doesn't say that Jesus' feet will come onto the earth or anything like that. So he doesn't come to the earth. He comes into the air. We rise to meet him and we go away with Jesus. Now, that then begins to set things up. It begins to make things move forward, which I want to talk to you a little bit about. So because only with the removal of God's people from the earth can then the Antichrist begin to rise to power. Because here's how it works. The scriptures tell us, of course, you know, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, right? The Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. So right now, the Holy Spirit is covering the entire earth. The Holy Spirit is present where God's people are. And, and that's everywhere. It re- really, really is. So when, though, the rapture happens, the blessed hope, the Holy Spirit is no longer covering the earth and the Bible says the Holy Spirit in us is actually what is holding back the Antichrist. You didn't realize it, but you carry God with you, and, and, and you are actually holding back the Antichrist from manifesting because God is in you. That's powerful, isn't it? And then with the removal of the Holy Spirit and the anarchy that will result after that, it's going to open the, or the earth up for this, uh, this intense tribulation and judgment from God, which leads to the second one, which is called the tribulation. Now, I believe that it is a seven-year period of, uh, I have three words there for you, of anarchy, lawlessness, and antichrist. Uh, and there's going to be judgment. I use those three words because they're really actually, they fit together. That should be just one term, but I, I wanted to break it out for you a little bit so you could understand 
what this looks like because this spirit of Antichrist, which uh, we, we talked about briefly a moment ago, that is, that is really a spirit of anarchy and lawlessness. All right, sometimes we think of Antichrist as just some bizarre thing that happens out there, but hear, hear me well. You know when the spirit of Antichrist is at work, when you see lawlessness, when you see rioting, when you see anarchy, for example, several weeks ago, there was a group of people meeting here downtown of anarchists holding a rally. We sent some of our people who pray to go around there and quietly pray with them and pray for them. I was even consulting with the mayor's office on, hey, we got our prayer people out there. We're not, we don't want that spirit of anarchy in our city. You see what I'm saying? Okay, that's, but, but, but whenever you see this, whenever you experience this, that is the spirit of Antichrist. So it's not as mysterious as we might think it is. But we don't have anything to fear about the tribulation because we will have been raptured. And I actually believe that we will be with the Lord, with Jesus in heaven. It's something that that scripture also calls the marriage supper of the lamb. And what that is, is that's like a seven year party. So you guys, I I love it because you're going to, the way I pictured it ever since I was a kid, we're going to be sitting there with all of our friends eating at this table. You get to eat and eat and eat. You never get full. You don't have to go to sleep at night. You're just having a big party. How many of you guys think that'd be pretty awesome? I want to go. Steak. Yes. It'll be awesome. Okay, but then there's this third event in this chronology called the second coming. Now, the second coming is not the rapture, all right? Because Jesus didn't come. He he just went into the clouds the first time. Now, the second coming happens. See, the first coming is when Jesus came to this earth as a baby. That's what we celebrated last week. The second coming is when Jesus puts his feet back on this earth and he establishes his kingdom, He comes very clearly as the Messiah. He's going to ride in on a white horse, and actually, we're going to be with him. I I remember my boys, Devin and Preston and Ian, growing up, they're like, what color is my horse going to be? I think it's going to be this. They get into arguments about what color the horse is. Like, like, just stop. You know, we don't know. Maybe you get to choose. I don't know, but Jesus is going to be white. And and he's going to come. We're going to be with him and the the angels of heaven, and he's going to rescue Israel from war that's being waged against it. And then he is going to set himself up as the king of the world in Jerusalem. Uh, Now, I know this, that these highlights that I'm showing you right here, that there are other people that have different different beliefs, and they see things a little different. And I'll, I'll just be honest with you, I respect that. I really, really do. Now, there are others, though, that will say, well, I've, I've heard about the prophecies in the Bible, and the prophecies all contradict each other, therefore we can't rely on any of that. And, and I do not agree with that, because Scripture does not contradict itself. It, it, it doesn't. See, Scripture is the inspired Word of God. So, if we believe it is inspired Word of God, then what are we going to do with the passages that seem to contradict each other? Well, that's where we have to understand what prophecy is. Let me talk a little bit more, and I want you to think with me. Now, prophecy is discursive. That is your word for the day. You get to go home, impress your friends, go to work tomorrow, if you're working tomorrow, and say discursive, and you impress your friends with that word. But prophecy is actually discursive. Think of when you're writing in cursive, all the letters are what? Connected. Everything has a flow. It's all connected, all right? Prophecy is discursive. It's not that way. You see, the way, it, the way it works is God spoke to the authors of the scriptures and showed them things that were to happen. And it's kind of like 
looking at mountains in the distance. Now, I have driven over the Rocky Mountains, especially one of the most interesting drives is, is up, up through Denver and all the way to the other side of Grand Rapids. I mean, that's that's, a, that's a, a, a fun drive through the mountains. But if you've ever done that or really go through any mountain range, you'll understand this. You see, as you're coming in, you begin to see the mountains, you'll see uh, these peaks and you'll see snow on the top. You'll see these different shades of mountains. You'll, you'll see the general shape and the outline of the mountains, but it's tough to even see what order they're in, which ones are going to, to be in your pathway. You don't see the valleys. You don't see the fact that the snow is really on the top and it's not down lower. Um, you just see the tops of the mountain. You can't, you can't see the terrain, uh, you cannot experience the detail because you're not in the mountain range. You understand that? When you're in it, it's a different story. Now that is like the prophetic scriptures. See, and then what the mountain range looks like before you get there, while you're looking at it, going toward it, and then what it looks like while you're in the mountains is different. But then when you get to the other side of the mountains, you've coming out on the other side, you're like, oh, now it all makes sense. You see, everything makes sense on the other side. And that is how prophecy works. So really, I don't think anyone can say, I know for a fact this is exactly how it's going to work out. I respect them. I don't, I don't think so. But the truth is prophecy was never given to us to create a timeline of events for us anyway. It was given to us for comfort to let us know that when we see certain things happening that God is in control and that we're going to win in the end and we just need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Okay, but biblical prophecy, it was also given not just to us as believers. Biblical prophecy is given to all creation for everyone. That's why the Bible does talk about the judgments and the things that are going to occur on this earth that, that are going to happen when we're not here so that everybody will actually be warned. They'll be duly warned. And some biblical prophecy was written specifically uh, for, for Israel, for national Israel, and for, for Israel that, that rejected the Messiah. And see, those people will actually see Jesus come to rescue Israel when he comes to establish his throne, and we're coming with him. So knowing the audience to whom the passage is written is really, really important. Um, and I know there's a lot of concern about the Antichrist. Let's, let's talk about it. He's this man who's going to force the world to, into false religion, to worship falsely. He is going to rule the earth through um, fear, um, political control, economic control. And I strongly believe that his identity will not be revealed, though, until we are raptured. See, Paul tells us this in 2 Thessalonians, that the spirit of Antichrist cannot be fully revealed through the Antichrist himself because that evil spirit of hell, that evil spirit of Satan is being held back by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So when we are removed from the earth by the rapture, at this time, there will be nothing holding back the full expression of the spirit of Antichrist in the man. So Honestly, I don't worry about the tribulation, and I don't worry about the Antichrist. In fact, this, I think this is important. The scriptures, nowhere in the scriptures are we told that we are to, uh, to watch for the Antichrist. 
Although some people build entire ministries on watching for the Antichrist. Well, that's nice. And again, I respect it, but the scriptures don't tell, just don't tell us we're supposed to do that. Scriptures do not tell us we're supposed to be watching for the tribulation. Therefore, you, you, have this, you have this for me. This is my word to you. You're never going to hear from me a statement of who I think the Antichrist is. You won't ever hear a statement from me about, well, I think one of the bowls of God's wrath from Revelation or a trumpet or a seal has just been broken of the judgment of God. I'll tell you why. Again, I'm just being me. I've seen people do that all my life, and many of them have just made fools of themselves, and it just made no sense. I'm not going to do that. I respect the prophecy too much. I can't be arrogant to say I've got this all figured out. But... Scriptures do tell us we're supposed to be watching for the return of Jesus. Look what it says here. It says, wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So he is coming just like mom and dad were coming. We're told to wait for Jesus, not wait for the tribulation. And Jesus also said this. He said, when, you, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So when we see certain signs, we look up to Jesus. We stand up. We lift our heads up. We stand tall. As followers of Jesus, we're pursuing him. We're not pursuing the signs. Now, now, when you're driving down the highway, there are a lot of signs, right? Some of them you don't pay much attention to. Others you do. But you glance at the signs, right? You do. You glance at them. Uh, why? It's because they're just telling you what's ahead and what to be looking out for, that they're talking to you about stuff that's near your destination. But you don't pull over to the sign, get out of your car, study it, measure it, dissect it, you know, take selfies with it. I found one of the great signs, you know. Well, you are allowed to take, take pictures of yourself in front of a welcome to Texas sign. You know, you're back in Texas and you are a Texan and you are glad you're back in Texas. You know, you know, guys, you know what I'm talking about. You see that sign and you are so happy and you press the accelerator. All right, but you can take your picture in front of that sign. But non-Texas wouldn't get that and, you know, and that's different. But we don't pursue the signs. We pursue Jesus, right? So again, the question is, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Uh, well, we make Jesus known. We do it by living out our faith, by doing good to all people. All people. Why don't you take a look at what Paul wrote to his friend Titus. He says, okay, follow this. He's talking about how we're supposed to live. And the reason why, he says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Because we're in this age of grace right now. It's what Preston and I were talking about a minute ago. It's the age of grace. But grace teaches us something. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. You see, that's how we live. We live in grace, living a certain way, saying no to darkness because we're looking forward to this blessed hope. Mom and dad's coming. I'm going to be ready. Does that make sense? And he explains what the blessed hope is, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his own. And they are people who are what? Eager to do what is good. That's what we do right there. 
while we wait for the blessed hope, we just simply make Jesus known with our life and with everything in us. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse 13, which I asked you to turn to, I want you to get this open right now because I want to read to you now one of the most explicit and clearly outlined, concise explanations of what the blessed hope will look like and when Jesus returns for us. It's beautiful. I love this passage. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about it. This was written to a church called the church at Thessalonica that um, Paul wrote this to them because they'd have some prophecy teachers coming in, messing with people's minds, telling them all this stuff. Oh, Jesus has already come. And, and here's the timeline of events. It looks like this and this and this. And here are the times. Here's the dates. And oh, well, you guys messed up and dead people up too late. They're not going to heaven now. I mean, they're so confused, kind of like a lot of people are when you hear a bunch of confusing prophecy teaching. And so he delivers this message. I want you to listen to it here. He says, brothers and sisters, this is good. (laughs) We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Okay, those are people who have passed away. So that you grieve like the rest of mankind who have no, what, hope. Hope, there's that word again. You see, we have hope. They have hope even though they passed away. That's called the blessed hope. It's different when a believer dies. It is different. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Those are the people who have died as believers. (laughs) He says, according to the Lord's word, in fact, Jesus said this himself, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So there's a little bit of an order to the rapture. So he's explaining here, we don't precede those. They will go first and we will immediately come after them. It says, for the Lord himself, here's the description. This is good. This is going to happen. We'll see it. Whether you're dead or alive, you're going to see this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel. And the trumpet call of God is going to be crazy. (laughs) And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we, now wait a minute. He was talking about them a little bit ago, but now he's talking about we. We who are still alive and are left are caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll forever be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, look over in chapter five. Come on, we got to keep reading. This is good. This is good. Let's just not give it up here. Let's keep, keep reading. First Thessalonians chapter five. Let's, let's jump over here to that. This is good. He says, now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write you. Another quit worrying about the timelines. <laughs> All right. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Okay. It says, while people are saying, well, peace and safety, destruction will come on them. Now, he didn't say you. Okay, he's writing to believers here. He's writing to Christian believers. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, now he's talking about the church again, but you, the brothers and sisters, us, the church, you are not in darkness. Key word right there. You're not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. It's going to be different for us. It says, you are all children of the light 
You are children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. Now, what he's doing here is he's comparing day and night. Basically meaning this, is that if you're a believer, it's like you're living in the light of day. Your eyes are open, all right? And, and you're, you're, you're going about doing the right things. And he's, he's making this, this little, it's kind of a little object lesson story here. So it's like, but if you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, your sins have not been forgiven, it's like you're in the dark. It's like you're, it's night and you're asleep and you're foggy. He even talks about like even being drunk. You're, you're drunk and you're asleep and you don't even know what's going on. There's a huge difference between that, okay? So a non-believer is operating that way in this world, operating in the spirit of the night, Believers operate in the spirit of the day, okay? Take a look at this. So again, you're all children of the light, children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. So then, let us not be like others. Okay, that's the non-believers who are asleep. But let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Okay, here it is. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. And you know what? This is something that's, that's all through the scriptures. When God poured out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, you know what he did? He told the believers to get out. Lot and his family got out. When God poured out his wrath on this earth and sent the great flood, God says, I found a family who's serving me. And he put them in that ark and he put the animals in there and they were saved. God's, God's reputation is at, is at stake here. He does the same thing. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus died for us. So that whether we're awake or asleep, you know, whether you're in the grave or whether you're alive at that moment, we will live together with Jesus. And he says, therefore, he says this again, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Hey, my friend, Jesus is going to descend from heaven. And the graves of our city, they're going to be popping wide open. And I'm telling you what, it's going to be an amazing day. The sea will give up its dead. It's going to be a day like you can't imagine. People who have died will literally have their bodies remade yet in, in a supernatural body, united with their spirits, and they will meet Jesus in the air. And we will meet them there too. Our friends who have already passed away, loved ones, family members who have already passed away. <laughs> we'll be reunited with them, and not just for a little few minutes. No, that's for eternity. It's like this thing goes on and on. It doesn't stop. That is the blessed hope. That's my blessed hope. So are, you, are we living at the end of time? Well, if you're near death, you're living at the end of your time, <laughs> right? You definitely are. But then again, you don't have any idea when that death will be. So in reality, we're all living at the end of our time because you could go today. If Jesus returns today, we're going to rise to meet him in the air. So it's the end of our time, right? If our body perishes today, and then we're, we meet Jesus in the air later on, then it's the end of our time. So what are we going to do? fret? No, 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 not at all. It's time for us to live. That's why I say that over and over. It is time to live. We are, the way we live is by being awake and alert, loving life and doing good works because Jesus could return today 
or your life could inspire from this earth today quickly and unexpectedly. But what's more, what really is more important, what's most important is that we are ready and that we are letting as many people know as possible about Jesus so they're not left. We just want to bring people to heaven with us. So the big question now is this. Are you ready? Will you please lock yourself in with God? I don't want any movement in the room right now. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. Focus internally. You might be here today and you have not surrendered your life completely to Jesus. Possibly you've drifted from your relationship with God. But if you want to know this Jesus that I talk about, you want a new beginning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond right now. If you want to experience the blessed hope, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. The way to respond is simple. Just lift your hand so I can see it. And then we're going to pray together, and you're going to have the opportunity just to give your life to Jesus. Jesus loves you, really, more than you can imagine. He died for you so that you can live, and it is time for you to live. So if you'd like to be included in my closing prayer, surrender your life completely to Jesus. When I count to three, lift your hand up for me so I can see it, and then you can put it right back down. One, two, three. Lift your hand for me. Lift your hand for me. Pray this prayer with me. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Here's what I'd like for to do. I'd like for us to all stand together. If you lifted your hand, stand. Will you pray this with me? This is what brings people into that blessed hope right here. Mean this prayer from the bottom of your heart. And believers, I want you to pray this prayer too as an encouragement to anyone else who's praying this prayer, giving their lives to Jesus right now. Pray this with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you are the Son of God. Please forgive my sins. I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. Thank you for eternity and thank you for the blessed hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's message. You know, City Life Church, we are all about developing followers of Jesus who influence and shape culture. And it's possible that you are even feeling a, a shift that is coming in your life, or possibly deep down inside you feel called to something more. And City Life might be a part of that future. Let me tell you, Launch Sunday is the big event that's coming up, and it's happening on February 10th, 2019. And if you'd really like to be a part of what God is doing in downtown Fort Worth through City Life Church, I'm asking you to go and visit our website at citylifefw.org and click the launch button. Uh, You could also just come and visit one of our services because I I really believe the future is bright and it's limitless in potential. I want you to hear my vision. I want you to be a part of what God is doing at City Life and come and chat with me personally after one of the services.